When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Everything in the book. I had nothing to fight with but a butcher's hook. They had no pity. They never lend a hand. I can't sing a song that I don't understand. Goodbye, Jimmy Reed. Goodbye. Good luck. I can't play the record because my needle got stuck. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan one album at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host of Freewheeling, Rob Kelly. And joining me once again is my friend Tom Moon. Hi, Tom. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing great. I'm so thrilled to have you back on the show. Of course, people that are uh, have been listening to the show for a while know that Tom and I did uh, the uh, the first ever Pod Dylan Live episode at part of the uh, Philadelphia Podcast Festival last year. And I will say, my plan originally, uh, when the year wrapped around again, I thought, well, we'll do it again. I thought maybe we could try it again. And of course, <laughs> that didn't quite work out since <laughs> nobody's getting together anywhere. Um, but, uh, Bob and in his infinite generosity decided to drop a brand new album on us on June 19th, rough and rowdy ways. And so I thought this was perfect. If we can't do a live show, we could at least do this. So thank you so much for coming back and to talk to me about this humongous event for every Dylan fan out there. Oh, thanks for having me. On set, I'm very, very, I really enjoyed our live show together. So, and this is about as exciting as it gets because this is the first, a album of new songs that Dylan has dropped since I started the show. Uh, he wow. did, he put out triplicate of course. Uh, but that, that was, you know, its own separate thing, but this is his first album of new material in eight years. Rough and rowdy ways. It came out on June 19th. Of course, Again, everyone listening to this knows this already. Um, so, you know, Tom, I read your review or not really review your essay. I would say, uh, over on Medium about the album, and I've read a thousand other reviews, and I wasn't so much interested in doing like a song by song breakdown necessarily. I really wanted to have more of a sort of a, a kind of a holistic conversation about the record in general. But I wanted to start start off asking you, like, where are you coming from in terms of your expectations for a Bob Dylan album? Like, do you have something in your mind of what you're hoping to hear, or what you think you're going to hear, or? I mean, what, what's your process? First of all, I don't ever come to any, I try not to come to any artist's work with any expectation because of what I learned from Bob Dylan and John Coltrane and Miles Davis for years and years and years, which is the minute you think you know where someone is, <laughs> some artist is, they will find a way to show you how wrong you are. And <laughs> as a critic, that's especially important because we like to put things in boxes. We like to be able to uh, give our audience a very clear picture of where something fits. And, you know, it's not always fair to the artist to even like when you drop the needle or press play on something at the, uh, for your first encounter to say, okay, well, I know, I know what this guy has done. I know this artist. Therefore, I'm ready for this. I, I, I almost have a, a very short ritual where I say, uh, whatever this is, I'm open to it. And the, just doing that, especially with an artist who's as rangy and contains as many multitudes as <laughs> Bob Dylan does, uh, nice. you, you know, you, 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 you want to be prepared for anything. And, you know, I, I really feel like anymore, that's one of the challenges for uh, people as they're sort of doing their browsing listening when they're, you know, sort of going through streaming stuff or just checking a lot of things out. It's like, oh, people don't spend the time to to sort of meet meet the work where it is. And if you if you've listened to Dylan at all, for any length of time in any era in which he was active, what you realize is he's, he's asking you to do that for that moment. Each time he makes a record, every release has a, has a, a, a certain implication of that. You, you, you should not come to this thinking, you know, who this artist is, <laughs> you know, Dylan more than really just about anyone. I mean, you know, he's really that way. <laughs> 
Yeah, I well, absolutely. Um, in terms of the, uh, again, as much as I, I loathe to kind of lump any of his stuff all together, I do kind of feel like this this record, Rough and Rowdy Ways, fits in somewhat of a piece with the, the, the Jack Frost era uh, mm-hmm. that basically started with uh, Love and Theft, where he's just producing all his own records. And he's kind of got that riverboat gambler sort of persona thing. And the idea that I think that time is being flattened where the references are coming, you know, hot and heavy where and they're just mixed from all over the place. And we've already talked about in previous episodes, I could see multitudes where he's smashing together Anne Frank and Indiana Jones and Rolling Stones all in one line. And it's this sort of everything's alive all at the same time. You know, there is no past. There is no future. It's all happening right in this moment. And the one interview that he did with Douglas Brinkley at the New York Times, where he talked about that these songs came to him in a sort of trance uh, that I mean, what do you what do you make of that? I I hear that completely. And, um, you know, it's funny because as uh, you're talking about that era and, you, you know, something like Cold Irons Bound or, or a song that. Uh, pick another song from love and theft where you know he's thinking image in in specific images he's thinking in uh scenes and with this it really feels like i don't i don't know if it's conscious or not but it does feel to me when i just put this on and i'm not like following line by line what it what it seems like is he's 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 crafting scenes he's conjuring stuff but it is not in linear narrative form it's just images and um or or just ideas or just names of artists i mean it's really he's he's using the uh the great internet listicle to kind of (laughs) evoke and invoke certain people i mean murder most foul i i'm i'm fascinated by that still because of the way you know, this over and over again sort of prescription, play, you know, Stan Getz, yeah, play, play Stevie Charlie Nicks, Parker, yeah. play, yeah. right. And, you know, in in the course of that, however many minutes that part of the song is, he's, he, as you say, he's blending things together from different era, but he's also bringing, he, he's also sort of doing almost like, you know, the great, the sort of uber religion of music in general, just like, you know, when you say the words Charlie Parker or something, you know, when he says it, you can tell it, he, he, he means, he means something. He says Thelonious Monk. It's like he's invoking a spirit and it, and in the name is a bunch of shorthand and a bunch of connotation that goes well beyond the name. And all he needs is the name in this trance-like uh, delivery to sort of uh, touch us and put us into that space and then pivot away from that space and put it into another space. And I, I think that's, the, the, you, you know, that's like, it's shorthand. It's it's not uh, uh, narrative writing like, she said this, I went and did this. But it's very evocative and, and you know, it has... It has that thing where you would think a song like that, uh, you know, which probably is closer to Billy Joel, We Didn't Start the Fire, uh, than, <laughs> than it is, you know, Lay, Lady, Lay. Um, you would think a song like that would wear out. Like, you just wouldn't go there. And, you know, I, I must say, I find I am more interested in the and it may be the pace of it this slow processional unfolding thing and then you know there he is telling alexa go go find me this go find me that play whatever and it's really it, it it's it's moving in a way if you're if you're open to the idea that you know we're just in the big church of music and we're celebrating all of it or we're, or we're thinking about all of it. And he's thinking about all of it and we're following his thought as he goes from one world to another. Back when he was doing blood on the tracks and he was, he gave interviews and he said that he, one of the aspects he liked about uh, the approach that the painter Norman Rabin had helped him uh, work on for that record was the idea of stopping time. Uh, and that, you know, even though those song, a lot of those songs are very heavy story songs, he liked the idea of sort of stopping time and that things are existing simultaneously 
the past, the present, and the future. And that's something he manages to do with Murder Most Foul, which is for a song that is 17 minutes long, so long that it has to be included on its own CD uh, yeah. for, for on the CD version of the record, uh, which I'm sure Columbia Records just loved. Uh, <laughs> the, the, like That song doesn't wear out its welcome. And you, you, that's amazing. You would think that a song that is that long, any song that's that long, especially a song that it's at a certain point just becomes him reciting this sort of list, would get tiresome. And yet it doesn't. And it's also a song that, it, again, at 17 minutes long, is, o- is over before I know it, which yeah. seems to me – I don't know how he did that. Yeah, it's very strange. And the other thing that I'm really puzzling about, and you know, when that song dropped by itself, people were talking about, oh, it's about the Kennedy assassination. And I, I, I hear that, of course. You right, can't sure. not. But I don't think it's really about that. I feel like in, in a, in a way, like, you know, and not to like sort of attach, cause he's, he's saying there is no metaphor. There's no, uh, large, scale uh illusion allusion all uh going on here like you know he's just in the words and the words are literal uh but i keep i i just feel like there is something in the juxtaposition of this account which is almost like a greek mythology retelling uh looking at it from many sides uh of this horrible event which in, in you know has often been referred to as the end of american innocence or whatever so that counterposed with these all these figures some of whom in their work are very innocent like you know Thelonious monk it's like when you hear monk you you're hearing a, a spirit at play and you know especially now in this moment where we're all like sort of cloistered and we're not we're not experiencing life in the same way we usually do and we're not engaging with you know the laughter of others the way we usually do like to hear this thing where he's pondering the the, the innocence and the end of something in this way and and invoking all these artists you know not all of them are that you know i mean stevie nicks is not somebody you think of as like you know a purveyor of this sort of pure spirit stream kind of work <laughs> right but, you mentioned the eagles in the same breath as charlie yes, parker yeah <laughs> yes right but that but like you said that it's that thing where he's telling one narrative but then he's sort of taking it away from its time sequence by invoking all these other artists and you know he wants to be historical in the beginning he's telling this epic and then by the end he's bringing us into this world of of you know something that's much less uh about events and much more about spirit what do you think about the the, the i mean i said this thing is chock-a-block with references even if a song like uh my own version of you which doesn't seem like it would lend itself to references in the third verse he's got the i'll take the scarface pacino and the godfather yeah. brando mix it up in a tank and get a robot commando which i look i have no idea what the hell he's talking about but boy i love that rhyme just yeah. <laughs> the way he says robot commando but even in a song that seems more quote-unquote straightforward it's got these references in it. And, and yeah. so, I mean, he obviously is expecting uh, the listener to be relatively conversant with what he's talking about. But there's also lots of references that I, you know, go over my head. Do you, I mean, I, well, I, should, I was about to ask you, what do you think he's thinking? But no one can know that. Um, yeah. But I mean, w- when you get the, these references, like, do you feel as though it's like, does the song work better if you like go and research it some way? Or do you feel like, it's okay. It's okay that some of it just washes over you, and that you're just like, all right, I don't know what that's referring to. But just moving on to the next thing. Right. I think. I think that's what he's. He doesn't want you to to have the history book open. Right. He wants this to be kind of in this sort of ersatz retelling of history, always, and the the sort of uh, long, far flung references like the one you you just mentioned about Scarface. Um, being there as like sort of the uh the cherry in the drink mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and, and i i feel like with with a lot of these songs while that's going on lyrically he's also doing that musically i mean that that great song false prophet uh built on a sun records pre elvis sun era 
uh, hit by this guy, uh, Billy the Kid Emerson. <laughs> and, y- you know, it's not a direct cop. I mean, it has some uh, form changes that that uh, take it out of typical blues form. But the riff is the riff. And the vibe of it is the vibe. It's in the same key. It's the same tempo. You know, so there's like those references too. And, you know, there's a lot of that. I mean, like, and we're talking about Murder Most Foul, that the whole tone of that, the second half of that piece, it is like a sermon in a way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are a couple other, like, like, of the African-American church kind of, uh, that kind of oratory. And, you know, that, I mean, he's right in there, and he can probably have a discussion where he breaks it down if he chooses. But I, I, I think the the songs exist and are as rich as they are, regardless of whether or not you get all the uh, tie lines to the to other parts of the outside world, to other cultural figures, to anything else. You know, uh, and I feel quite sure. That he and Tony Garnier and those and you know everyone who's working on this is not trying to get people uh, a history lesson about Billy the Kid Emerson, but they do if you it's there if you want it, you know. Mm-hmm. In terms of the the references, I mean, you talk about the musicianship of this song, of this uh, record, and I also think uh, his singing is really startling on this record. I mean, to, the, to me, this is some of the best singing I've heard him do. And I know, obviously, I've bought into the whole idea that, that he's a great singer because that's I, I'm here doing this. There's a lot of people who don't think he is. But I find he's able to convey meaning, uh, especially... He's done that virtually every song of his that I really like. But on this record, especially, there's parts of it that I can't put my finger on as to why it's meaningful, but it it sounds it. You know what I mean? Like it, mm-hmm. like there's a, there's this section in uh, Key West, Philosopher Pirate, which a song, by the way, on my first run through on this record, I think I was about twenty seconds into the song, and I went, "Yeah, I'm going to like this one already." You know, what I mean? like yeah. immediately. But the line, the uh, in the the fourth verse where he talks about twelve years old, they put me in a suit, forced me to marry a prostitute. There were gold fringes on her wedding dress. That's my story, but not where it ends. She's still cute, and we're still friends. And the way he sings, we're still friends, to me has this gorgeous melancholy to yeah. it. Then, and I, I still can't quite ferret out what it is that I feel about that line, but it almost makes me well up every time I hear it when he gets to it. And that, yeah. to me, it's like that's an extraordinary singer that he can convey some emotion when. I don't have a literal interpretation of the line yet in my head. Like I'm still, this record is still new to me. I'm still figuring out what this stuff means to me. And that, but that line, when I just, the way he does that, we're still for, and the sad, the kind of sad, sweet, uh, the accordion playing on this. I mean, it's such a beautiful tune. And that's through, that's all throughout this record. Is that kind of like, I can't, I don't know what that means, but I know it's striking a chord in my heart in a weird way. Yeah. Well, and don't you think the settings, I mean, he, first of all, what you say about him, him as a singer, I think he was very careful about uh, staying to the script of these songs. Like he knew exactly how he wanted to phrase what he was doing, partly because he's, you know, he's the person of language that we know, but also partly because I think he's, he's, it, when you, when you're in a trance, when you're trying to cast a spell, when you're in a spell, when a spell has been cast on you, when you when you have this sort of paranormal experience going, which I feel like it's all through the record. I contain multitudes. You know, it's almost like it, it, it's a n- nice segue when when murder most foul ends and you go back to I contain multitudes. When I I had that experience the other day, I was like, wow, that's very interesting, very <laughs> intentional. Uh, kind of thing, but I I think he was very careful to not overdo anything vocally and to let this sort of bubbling cauldron of sound that he's working with just exist. And it and it's a very slow boil as far as what the band's doing, but it's magical. And I think you know it's I feel at in parts it's almost like he's savoring what's going on and he just doesn't want to he wants to tiptoe because he wants to leave that the spell as intact as it can be (laughs) and uh and you know then on like something like crossing the rubicon the whole 
the, the, the whole sort of energy in his vocal comes from the way the band is set is laying it down. Like there's, there's no labor in it. You know, there's no, like, he's not trying to think about it. It's just, he's just, he's just dealing, you know, mm-hmm. he's dealing with what's in front of him, what he's hearing musically, he's reacting to it. Um, and I think that, you, you know, like those guys and that, that kind of setting scene setting stuff that, that goes on here, they do that live. They've been doing it for a long time. It was probably not very difficult for them to, you know, sort of get the atmosphere and the, the outline of the canvas. But I think he probably found it, you, you know, I think he thought about it anyway, how he was going to walk through these environments. I imagine he's been working with these guys for so long now, especially, uh, as you mentioned, Tony Garnet, that they're got to be – they have to have a pretty telepathic relationship at this point. They're able to figure out what it is that he wants uh, and are able to provide the sort of accompanying backing. By the way, it's sort of interesting to think about this song. This album features some backup singers, and I was just sort of going through the Rolodex in my mind. And outside of the Christmas record, I think this is the first album of his that's had backup singers – since Under the Red Sky, wow. uh, 1990, you know, I mean, I can't think there's no backup singers on Love and Theft or Modern Times or Together right. Through Life or Tempest and, and and then not even on Time Out of Mind either. And so I'm like, wow, this is and then, again, that makes me think he must have had a very specific idea in mind to have that kind of sweet, sweeter sound by having these people in the background. I mean, mm-hmm. supposedly Fiona Apple. Uh, is she's credited on this record and there yeah. seems to be some flying around about what she did on it. I don't really know. And I'm not even terribly interested one way or the other, just sort of an interesting idea. Um, so I have a couple of random theories, Tom, and I want to run them by you because okay. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, <laughs> but I mean, you know, this is a safe space. So first of all, crossing the Rubicon, that's about sex. Okay. So I figured, <laughs> I figured that's what that song's about. Maybe. Um, and then my, <laughs> my other theory um, is, Key West Philosopher Pirate. Okay. It's probably um, my favorite song off the Mm -hmm. record. Um, Maybe Goodbye Jimmy Reed is my favorite, but Goodbye Jimmy Reed feels like such a layup in some ways. Like it's just like it's such an up tempo thing that I feel like Bob can sort of just cut off, kind of like hack, almost like almost like a production line, not in a bad way, but just like it seems so easy for him to just do this up tempo thing where he just sounds like he's in charge of things and I just love it. But Key West, I think, is probably going to end up being my favorite song on the record. And it reminds me a lot of Highlands from Time Out yeah. of Mind. It's very similar to in terms of this imagined place. I mean, I, you know, I'm sure that the uh, – I said it the day the record came out. I'm sure that the Key West Chamber of Commerce has got a phone call into Bob's licensing office right now trying to <laughs> – what, what do we have to pay to use this on our tourism board? Um but but the two songs remind me a lot of each other. I don't want to say Bob's repeating himself, but he is in some ways. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing. There's there's ways of spinning the dial and saying, well, this is my approach to Highlands in 1997, but now I have a variation on that here in 2019 or whenever he wrote the song for Key West. And there's a line in Mother of Muses where he says, Mother of Muses, wherever you are, I've already outlived my life by far. And as much as it's always dangerous to ascribe any too much biographical information to any line that he writes, that it's about him necessarily. <laughs> he has outlived virtually all of his contemporaries at this point. Yeah. And I almost wonder, has he didn't, he didn't expect to live this long. And it's almost like, you know, the stories you hear about people that get diagnosed with a fatal disease and they decide, well, I'm just going to run up my credit cards and live live high on the hog because what does it, what does it matter if I die a million dollars in debt and then they don't die, you know? And then they're like, oops, now I, now I owe MasterCard a billion dollars because I took that trip. I almost wonder if Bob is like, I didn't expect to still be around making songs. So I'm kind of, okay, I'm repeat. I maybe this may be a variation on an idea I had 30 years ago, but that's okay. Cause that was 30 years ago. Most people's careers don't span that kind of time. Yeah. I mean, is that yeah, is that a crazy I, idea? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I mean, you know, it it certainly isn't the first time he's done a type thing like like you're talking about, or a or a uh, you know where in some way 
something he's written is has echoes of templates and ideas and actual songs from years before. I mean, there are there are enough examples of that to where uh, you're not surprised, really. The thing is that in each of the cases with this with the 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 modern work, it it's not as though he's like, okay, yeah, I could write another hurricane. We'll just call this one about Jimmy Reed. It's more, you know, it's, it's more that, uh, I think that certain places and people and, uh, events and, you know, sort of, uh, pop cultural references are like, he's working through, you know, he's sort of, they're gnawing on it. They're, 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 uh, you know, he's working with, with that energy. And sometimes it's the exact same, you know, come, what comes out is something we can go, oh yeah, well he, that's similar to what he did there. But, you know, look at how many songs he's written. Right. When you write 500 songs, you're bound to have some songs that are similar. Right. Exactly. Both in terms of strategy and tactic, and then in terms of actual language. And, and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I I you may be right about his sense of like you know hey look I I didn't expect to still be here and while I'm at it let me just uh throw a bunch of stuff out you know but I don't think any of it was cavalier I don't I don't no. mean to say that any of this was cavalier I think he's very carefully considering these juxtapositions and you know the these I the idea of Things that don't belong together, being together, you, you know, what happens when to our brains when that happens is we're we're captivated, we're curious, we're like, okay, what does that mean? You know, we're at a three-way intersection and it doesn't really add up. And you know, where's he? What's he trying to show us here? And you know, if some of the template vehicle stuff is similar to stuff he's done before. That could actually also be intentional to just help us get to whatever he's really wrestling with, like the sort of under underlying, you know, thematic stuff that may or may not even be there. I mean, that's the other thing. It's like I every time I get really wrapped up in, wow, what does this mean? I'm like, well, maybe it doesn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. It's just supposed maybe to evoke a feeling sort of. And that's all that's I mean, yeah. it's, it's words and music. And so you feel like it has to have some concrete meaning, but maybe not. Maybe it's just meant to just make you feel a certain way. Uh, do you have a particular favorite song on the, off the oh, man for a long <laughs> time? It was when, you know, as those first three were, were released, as soon as I heard false prophet, I was like, oh, yeah, this <laughs> is, uh, you know, there's something about that groove. And, you know, this, the, and again, the phrasing thing you're talking about when he says, I ain't no false prophet, you know, and it's like, it's, it's a snarl, but it's his snarl. It's not a blues man snarl necessarily. It's something that he could have, you could have heard in a, you know, a record in the early seventies, blood on the track, something like that. But that, that one was the first one where I was really like, okay, wow. We are in some some territory here, you know. We're in a deeper, whole 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 different kind of water than we thought we were in, than I thought we were in. And you know, the I'd have to say right now that's still probably the one that I like. That's the one I played for people who are, uh, you know, I have people in my acquaintance who are Dylan haters, sort of, or, or just Dylan, you know. Get, people who gave up on Bob Dylan a while ago, when I play them that, I've, I've had this a couple of times now, they they slowly get it. They, right. they okay. slowly come around to this idea of, oh, okay, you know, this guy is not as, uh, like, it, it shows a dimension of him, of him that is very much building on the never-ending tour, but also has some some richness that, that it, you know the threads of which are expressed throughout this record. You know, it's like I feel like if you get that, you get that track, then you can you know go go straight through. You know, and mm-hmm. and you know, and in a, in a way, I think another thing about this record that I really love is the way it's sequenced. It is very deliberately, I think, put together so that 
you experience, an, you, you encounter something like false prophet and it gets you into a framework for Black Rider and uh, Goodbye Jimmy Reed and Key West too. I mean, I, I, I feel like if Key West had been in a different spot in this, you know, sort of path, it, it wouldn't resonate the way it does for me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it feels like the sun setting. And then That's only, right. Only Bob Dylan would uh, have a nine-minute, 35-second song, and it's not the final song on the record. <laughs> Most people would be like, hey, I just wrote an almost 10-minute song. That's that's the album closer. No, no, no. I have another 17-minute one yeah. after this. Right. But it is – but, you know, it may actually – like who knows what he was thinking, but it really does work as a closer, right? Because in, if you listen to it on a CD, it does close the record. I mean, you right. have to you have to get up and walk across the room and put the other CD on a purpose. Yeah, that's right. Right. I was. I was yeah. cu- oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, you go ahead. Oh, I I was pr- I was curious about the the design of it uh, on the on the CD. Uh, Murder most foul. Of course, it gets its own CD because it's it's you know the record is too long to to fit it in there. So it gets its own CD, which is interesting as opposed to breaking it up like you know six songs and four songs. It's nine songs and one song, right. and then on the back cover. Uh, is the photo of JFK, which was used on the website when the when the single was dropped, Murdos, and, right. and and right, and even it even gets its own like the art is the same. You see that it literally says "Murder Most Foul," which is, seems very curious to sort of so specifically highlight one song, and yeah. it seems it seems I'm skeptical that when they dropped "Murder Most Foul," that they didn't already have plans to drop this record, but it. It seems I'm I'm baffled as to why Murder Most Foul and I Contain Multitudes were released sort of in a weird, like unceremonious kind of way of just like, oh, wait, here are some songs we recorded as opposed to saying, well, these are the album. This is the album. That's weird to me that they waited for the third song to finally say, yeah, 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 it's an album. That's it's sort of baffling. to me. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, who knows what? I mean, I I do know that we were all like with the jaw on the floor after Murder Most Foul, yeah, yeah. and you know, I, I don't know whether they take they meaning the people in the Bob Dylan camp or Columbia Records, whether they take that temperature so seriously that they're like, okay, what else you got, kind of thing, or if it was p- part of a, a a plan all along. It's really hard to say. But going back to what you said about the the configuration of it the thing that i you know you always think about this in terms of vinyl now uh and the way these these things from you know the cd era are represented on vinyl and where the breaks are so what is side two track one of this i mean i think you kind of can't do it you can't it can't be goodbye jimmy reed because then you go you know then shortly after that, you're crossing the Rubicon, which is, you know, sort of not the same street, but close, close by, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so, like, the, the question of what side two looks like <laughs> if, uh, if this is a vinyl release is interesting, too. And I don't know how they did it. If they're doing it with vinyl, I, I don't know how they broke it out. Yeah, mine will be coming in a couple of days. Apparently, I can't wait to to give it a spin on on vinyl. Just and yeah. on a side note, I love buying the vinyl records because they because they have to have more sleeves to fit yeah. the records. There's always they always stick in some weird photo of Bob that they don't include on the CD. Yes, and I love right. all those. I love the yeah. weird Bob Dylan in the wild photos where he's hanging out with a bunch of shady looking dudes and he's got his pencil thin mustache. I just <laughs> I love all those photos they take up. Yeah. So, but you'll have to update your listeners about that when, when you get the vinyl, because I haven't seen how it breaks out. I'm sure it's available online, but yeah, you know, I'm sure there's like a track list for the vinyl version, but you know, uh, I'm curious about stuff like that because again, this was a, I, this sequence feels deliberate and intentional and, you know, wise almost. (laughs) That Jack Frost guy knows what he's doing. Uh, one of the things I noticed lyrically from the, I mean, obviously I already mentioned the, the, the backup singers, which gives the whole thing a sweeter 
warmer sound than than all the previous records of the of the of this millennium god i can't this is how long this guy's been doing this stuff that you can <laughs> you can you can you know break things off by the millennium that they were released in um but but like i noticed in the the couple of previous records uh there was a lot of violence in the lyrics and a lot of uh straight up misogyny now not i wasn't not necessarily saying that bob dylan is espousing the misogyny but he has characters that are certainly saying some pretty rough things, calling women mm-hmm. sluts and, you know, bitches and things like that. And it's a little, you know, you're, when you're, uh, when you listen to it, your, your head cocks back a little like, wow. All right. Okay. That's not really present here. I noticed there's actually, I mean, like a song, one of my favorite songs off of Tempest is soon after midnight. And it's such yeah. a sweet romance song. And even that song talks about dragging someone's corpse through the mud. Yeah. Uh, well, not- but there is, but there is my own version of you, which is really kind of creepy. The Frankenstein, uh, yeah, bringing, yeah, looking for like, body parts. Like, That's true, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna cobble together, uh, you know, out of the out of the cemetery some stuff. But that's I, I hear that in a different way than the, you know, sort of the dismissals of some women in in, you know, like on Tempest. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't, I, th- I think he's being playful here, and but yet. You, you know, he, my own version of you, he, that's one where the phrasing is like he may, he sells this. It, you almost have to really be paying attention to get initially where it is at the beginning. You know, like it takes a few verses before you can see what he's up to almost. I, man, I, I've said before how much I love his singing, but boy, do I love his singing on my own version of you. I mean, just, it doesn't, that song does not sound like any other song in his catalog, which is saying something. Uh, but I just love the, the way he rat-a-tat-tats the lyrics. And I mean, the, uh, you know, where Mr. Freud with his dreams, Mr. Marks with his ax, see the rawhide lash (laughs) rip the skin from their backs, got the right spirit. You can feel it. You can hear it. You've got what they call the immortal spirit. Again, I love that just the way he's you could feel it you can hear it i love this sort yeah. of like force whisper that he's got going on and then when he moves on with the uh it creeps in your body the day you were born one strike of lightning is all that i need and a blast of electricity that runs at top speed i mean the way he fits in those the cadence that he has on that song yeah. is really amazing and again when the first couple of beats into the song i was like oh this this doesn't sound like anything i've ever heard him do and I, I, I've I have said on pr- many previous episodes. I am so impressed at his linguistic skills that he can just rattle off these words. I mean, obviously, we don't know how many takes there were of any of these given songs, and this this will be uh, the basis for another bootleg series at some point. Yeah, uh, but the fact that he can. I mean, I have my own troubles just reading the words sometimes and not tripping over myself, and he can rattle this stuff off like a machine gun and it's really impressive and and but you're right yeah this is that is one of the darker songs on the record but i mean there's a lot more i feel like there's a lot more sex on this record than there is so much violence and stuff which i'm i'm like okay that's you know that's i mean uh the videos that he was doing well there's not gonna be any videos for this record obviously unless bob has a zoom account but uh (laughs) the the the, you know there were videos for tempest songs off of tempest and songs off of together through life and they were very violent videos and this again this has just that kind of warmer sound even with a song like murder most foul which gets very specific and very detailed about the graphic gruesome almost gruesome death of this stuff and yeah i i I said i'm 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 about 10 days into this record i've listened to it multiple multiple times and i you know i tend to have let me ask you do you listen to it stem to stern all the way through are you now bopping around and sort of picking some of your favorites to play more than some others um well so what usually happens is after i've written something or i've finished whatever i'm having to do professionally i'll listen to it straight through with him as many times as i can like i was still in it for a good solid week um after the release of it and pretty much would start on track one every time now i haven't gone back to it in a a week i've been listening to other stuff for work and um the the uh last thing i heard was uh 
false prophet to play for somebody to sort of convince them to listen to the whole record. And, you know, there too, it was like one of these things where, okay, hearing one song out of context, especially one that's not like, you know, an epic really, uh, was it was very powerful in a different way and we were in the car and you know it was like a a completely positive experience to engage it one song at a time and it made me think okay now what i should do is uh you know go like skip around and see where uh you know sort of not listen to it the way in sequence but like i said i love the sequence i think you know it's very difficult to to ha- to make a record that has several songs that are dirges that have very slow tempo rubato almost not not much going on in terms of motion against the you know another three or four songs that are sort of blues medium up blues or or in the case of false prophet a slow blues but like that have a certain kind of character rhythmically you know it's it's like hard to weave the just those tempos together. And uh, I think that's really a trick. I mean, you you know, as much as I like each moment individually, it does have an arc to it and it does take you places if you listen to it from start to finish. Right. I mean, to go from Black Rider to Goodbye Jimmy Reed. Yeah. That's a, (laughs) that's a, that feels like that has to be the split of the record, right? When they do the vinyl version, I mean, Black Rider is going to end side one and then Goodbye Jimmy Reed. I guess so. But Black Rider, you know, that like you could almost start side two with Black Rider because it's so, that is a really powerful song. And, you know, I I hope that uh, people who are like sort of on the fence about Dylan, generally, I mean, that's not your audience, but um, audiences that, you know, maybe start with something like False Prophet or Heard Murder Most Foul find their way to Black Rider because it's it, too, is very different from everything else, you know, in terms of mood and comportment and the way the the vibe of it. Uh, it's its own universe. That, yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I mentioned the top of the show that I went through a million reviews, uh, you know, reading different reviews and stuff. And good Lord, one of them even mentioned Bob Dylan going electric. I thought, really, you're bringing this up again, for God's <laughs> sakes? I don't know what this has to do with anything <laughs> at this point. Um, but I, I, you know, I asked you, you know, what, how you go into his records. And I only know sort of how I go into them is that, you know, look, this I'm with this guy for the rest of my life. You know, as soon as I discovered him, I realized this is the guy. This is it. And even though I enjoy lots of other kinds of music, uh, th- this is the guy. And I'm with him until for- – and it, it dawned on me the other day that, you know, he has so much material banked up in bootleg series. They will probably be releasing bootleg series even after I'm gone. So there's material that I won't get to hear, which made me very sad to think about it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I mean, let alone after That's he's gone. Thought. You know, yeah, but I mean, right. really. That's I mean, there's thought. so much material. I, I kind of go into these records of like, okay – any given record, there's going to be some songs I like less, some songs I like more. The ones that I like more will end up in iTunes playlists, and will will there'll be ones that I return to over and over again. They'll be in mixes that I make, and I kind of look at any given record as how many songs off of this record are going to go with me. And I will say, like Black Rider, I'm a little hesitant on, and Mother of Muses, I'm a little hesitant on, just because they are so slow and yeah. they're just kind of ballads, although. When he sings uh, the final line of uh, Mother of Muses, where he sings about, uh, uh, he says, take me to the river, release me charms, got a mind that ramble, they got a mind that roam, I'm traveling the light, and I'm a slow coming home. Boy, that, that just gets me, the way he sings, I'm slow yeah. coming home. It's just absolutely beautiful. But the other ones, like I said, Key West... Goodbye, Jimmy Reed, False Prophet, my own version of you. I've, I've made up, I made up, I even mentioned, I made up my mind to give myself to you again, yeah. how someone can write a song with that ungainly phrase <laughs> and somehow make it work is unbelievable. Cause when I first read that title, I'm like, that is, that's hard to, I've made up my mind to give myself to you. What a weird title for a song. Yeah. And yet he makes it work. And again, his vocal is just so beautiful. Uh, it's so warm and so sweet. And again, contrasting with all the other stuff that goes on, especially as you talk about the sequencing, where it sits, in between yeah. my own version of you and Black Rider, 
Um, but I mean, I look at them like a bunch of these songs I'm going to take with me for the rest of my life. They're going to inform me and I'm going to unpack them. And I'm, and as I go through life and I experience things, I'm going to be able to go, Oh yeah, this is what reminds me of this. And ultimately I'm like, I, I tend to quote unquote judge this record against like the last couple, because I feel like for someone who has been constantly transforming himself, I feel like this version of Bob is, this is the one we've had the longest, you know, the kind of pencil thin mm-hmm. mustache guy. I, I mentioned earlier, riverboat gambler kind of Salvador Dali, Vincent price thing that he's got going on. That seems to be the Bob that we've got since love and theft. And this feels like of a piece of that. And I'm like, to me, this record stands alongside my favorites from this era, Modern Times wow. or Tempest. It It's of that caliber. And the fact that he can be 79 years old and putting out yeah. records of this quality, it's it, you, it's hard to wrap your head around. I don't know if I – I think this is another thing. I, I You know, I, I love all those records, and I hear what you're saying about the sort of, like, continuum aspect, but – I think where he is right now as a storyteller and, uh, you know, a sort of social critic prophet type person <laughs> uh, is much different from those records. Uh, it, you, you know, and I, I don't have a, a, a ton of like ammunition for that <laughs> other than, other than, you know, the, the paraphrase of Walt Whitman followed by this sort of, brew of ideas from various parts of the world and various parts of pop culture. Likewise, the the list of artists uh, to hear at the end of Murder Most Foul. I mean, like, I, I feel like he is he is pointing towards something that is significantly different from love and theft and the uh, the, the you know, everything previous uh not all of it does that but even black rider you know it's like it's gonna haunt you in a different way than you know some of the some of the earlier uh some of the things from this era that came on earlier records i i feel like there this this is a different kind of proposition somehow um both you know because the music is so slow and languid, these are atmospheres. He's walking us through an atmosphere in a way that, you know, there are elements that are similar to what he did before, but there's something profoundly different about this. And, you know, what I felt more than anything else was I want to hear him do this and go further and and get more down. And I hope he documents more yeah, you know, more work. Period, but more work that sort of does this this thing. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I realize I'm acting like uh, that he's been silent for eight years when he has not been silent. Um, he's released right. he's released uh, three covers records, including one a triple album. Plus, right. he's released two documentaries about his life, and you know, I mean, and, and more bootleg uh, stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, twenty but, different but wait, bootleg series that, and, and a billion concerts. It's not like he's, you yeah. know, it's not like this is the only time we've heard of him in the last right. eight years for Pete. And and I, I want to say the the this is also I hear I feel I sense that there is a relationship between the time he spent working with standard songs and yes. the Sinatra songbook. And this stuff, I mean, you know, some of the things that you're talking about, about this sweet expression, this, this like sentimentality that he has not always been forward with. It's been there, but it's much more sort of couched in, in metaphor here. He's just putting it out there. That's it's, and it's beautiful the way he does it. And that it directly relates to the, uh, the, the, the Cole Porter, Johnny Mercer, all the great songwriters, the tricks they had, you know, Jerome Kern, uh, what he learned from doing that is somehow mulched in this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the lines in I've made myself made my mind up to give myself to you. I mean, yeah. I'm sitting on the terrace, lost in the stars, listening to the sounds of the sad guitars. I mean, th- those are lines that you feel like you could have heard in those songs. That's right. You know, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, he's trying to almost write like one of these standards that will be sung by torch singers years from now. And that's I'm sure that's what's going to happen because these songs get 
disseminated out into the culture and then and they're out there and for people to pick up and l- learn things from. I mean, it it it's curious to think about what Bob himself was has been thinking about what's been going on in this country since the last original record. You know, I mean, he sees what's going on and he did make some comments in that one in brief interview with with Brinkley and it he you know, he's so great at making you lean in. You know, like mm-hmm. he's not going to explain it all. And there are times I will say I get a little frustrated where sometimes the lyrics are so obtuse that I just get like, what the hell is he? You know, like I'll, I'll pick between a number between one and two and ask myself, what would Julius Caesar do? <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? I don't know what that is, but that's OK. But I mean, he makes that's a you, game. Yeah, he makes you lean in. He makes you say, OK, I'm going to bring myself over to his turf and try and figure I'm going to. I'm a stranger in a strange land here, and I have to figure out the territory that is this record. And that's yeah. that's an, and it's going to give this record ongoing life, so you can listen to it. To, I still listen to Love and Theft, even though that record is 19 years old. I'm still going to be listening to this, hopefully 19 years from now. And it's again, sure. it's remarkable that he's able to. And you're right. While I do in my mind feel like it is similar to those previous records, clearly this is a reflection on what he quote unquote learned from doing those standards records, much like what time out of mind was on, in, on some level, a result of having done the folk covers records uh, that he mm-hmm. did, you know, a couple of years earlier, he did, he had right good as they've been to you and world gone wrong. And then he did yeah. was kind of laid low for a bit. And then all of a sudden, boom, here's this new form of songwriting that he was doing on time out of mind. And so, yeah, I could, that this, for all we know, this might be the, opening volley of a of another turn from him yeah. uh which yeah. is an amazing to think about yeah <laughs> let's hope i mean again i am sure he must be chomping at the bit to go back out on the road especially yeah. with new songs to play i yeah. mean man i mean i just saw him in november and it was one of the best shows i'd ever seen him do and firstly everybody that i talked to said boy he was really good on this tour and that was with songs that he'd been playing for the newest song he had was eight years old yeah and here yeah. he's got i mean goodbye jimmy reed when that oh man that is gonna be that's i feel like that's gonna be the concert closer for a very long time yeah so one thing i'm wondering about and i'd be curious to see what you think about this is is was i affected by this was i taken into this realm as as deeply as i went because of the lockdown, the pandemic, this this sort of like torrent of just unfortunate news on top of unfortunate mm-hmm. news. And, you know, I, I mean, it's not like any artist can explain it all to you. And it's not like he was even uh, endeavoring to do it, to, to speak in at this in any direct way. But I keep wondering, is is something about the resonance here related to where we are? Like, and people have said that in reviews, there, there have been a lot of discussion like that in the, in the press about this. And, you know, I, I wanted to kind of avoid that to a degree in what I wrote because I'm not sure. Right. And, you know, I feel like it's very easy to ascribe portent to what we're going through right now. Anything seems like it applies, you know? <laughs> What do you some, think? I mean, some of it definitely. I mean, when I heard "False Prophet," uh, there there was a. I mean, to me, there was some literal lines that I mm-hmm. feel like are related to what's going on. I mean, the, right, and our yeah. leadership. I, yeah, I definitely yeah, think that. Yeah, you, the, our, our, you sure. rusty old mule with a poison brain. I mean, come on, right. who, we, who else are we talking about? <laughs> uh, by the fact that I don't even have to say who we're talking about, that means we know who we're, all we're talking about. <laughs> but but at the same the same time, but but just even the style though. It was like, I feel like people of anyone who was, and I mentioned this on the episode I did about False Prophet with my my pal Tara Zook, was like, to me, anyone that isn't horrified by what's going on in the world right now, you're probably a sociopath at that point. I really think, you know, and everyone on a, a, a certain ideological stripe is feeling so beaten down by events, just this crushing one thing after the next. And after a while... You get like, I, I can't enough. I can't, you know. Yeah. And then for him to come with false prophet was this stomping thing where it was like, damn it. And it, this guy, this this narrator is coming in and acting like he is 50 feet tall 
and sort of yeah. swaggering in. And it gives you that feeling of, again, my friend Tara said, this song made her feel uh, two inches taller. And I was like, yeah, that's how you feel about it. He just had that kind of, yes, I, I, okay, I can do this. I can, I, I can you know, uh, there's that line from, from one of my favorite lines from Thunder on the Mountain was, I'll recruit my army from the, the my recruit my army, tough sons of bitches, I'll recruit my army from the orphanages. That line, that right. idea of like getting this army of righteous people to, to just finally fight back of all the shit we've been going through the past couple of years. And for him to plug this record in now, it just seems like such a miracle. And, you know, on a, on a personal note, we've all had to do things where we are, uh, you know, self-caring, uh, giving ourselves yeah. some level of self-care because you can't just be looking at your Twitter feed all day, looking at horrible things because you go nuts. And the fact that Bob released this record on a day, it's my favorite day of the year is the day of the summer solstice. It's the, I yeah. get off from work. Every year I take that day off. It's the longest wow. day of the year. And for the fact that he put this record out on that day, and I was like, wow, okay, I'm going to do this thing where I'm going to go down to the shore. I'm going to spend time with my girlfriend and her lovely family, and I'm going to lay out on the on the balcony of this house they have down there and just listen to this record, and that is going to be the thing. I would, And I got to do it. And it was oh, so rewarding. Awesome. And I just got to feel like I got to spend time with Bob. Like, Bob, tell me some stories, Bob. Just tell me some stories. Yeah. And he does, you know, across 10 different songs here. And it made the songs made me sad. They made me happy. They made me laugh. I mean, my God, the, the size of your cock will get you nowhere for Pete's sake. But, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> the stuff right. that he throws in is is just unbelievable. But it's just I've been listening to different songs every morning before I start work. And again, it just makes me I just have this wonderful even though even when the songs are dark. There's this uplift. It's the blues. It's singing your your problems away, sort of. Yeah. And the fact that he is still out there doing this, and he still has this muse that he's, and he's singing to directly, Calliope and, and Mother of Music. Right. The fact that he's got this this thing with him, and he's so willing to share it with us over and over and over again is just un unbelievable, you know. And yeah. every, with every record that comes out, everyone's saying, "Oh, is this the last one?" And I, th I think I read something. Somebody said, "You know what? I don't think Bob knows that. I don't think." I don't no, think, I don't. I don't and either. And, and I thank think he, God, that's yeah, great. Th yeah, I think he acts as though every album might be the last one. That's if that's the final statement, then that's the final. Statement. And that might be the case here. You know, you never yeah. know. But yeah, it's well, and if it is, uh, the fact that he was so incredibly genuine with, uh, you know, basically asking help from the mother of muses. I mean, yeah. you know, when I heard that, I that like, you know, it's a small thing, right? But anybody who who is in creative work knows what it's like to not have the muse on your side, to actually struggle to do mm -hmm. to accomplish anything. And I felt hearing that this was someone who who has scaled heights that very few humans ever have <laughs> and contributed more to the discussion of what it means to be human in this moment and in our lifetime generally than, than almost anyone else. And for him to be asking for that kind of help, I mean, you know, to me, that was, that, that was profound. And, and it really, it, it, it touched something about the whole idea of what are we doing right now? Mm -hmm. And what does it mean to be here? And, you know, how difficult creative work can be, and how perilous and fragile the whole enterprise of, you know, getting from his brain to our ears really is. And we feel that now because of the pandemic, but it's it's always been. Yeah. I mean, I, as I go through these words and I'm looking at these songs, I do feel like it's in some ways it's like Bob is is pointing and saying the tools are there. You know, the tools are for whatever need you need to do to get through the tools are there, whether it's. Yeah political upheaval or social upheaval or just personal upheaval the tools i mean he there's that interview of him in the 60s where he said uh, he says that every one of my songs say good luck i hope you make it he says that's every song and i feel like it sounds like a joke that he's just doing to, to disarm uh, the press at the time but at the same time i think it's true i think it's accurate uh and yeah. we even talked about this when we did our live show where i feel like 
when Bob sings, how does it feel? I'm like, to me, that's every song he's asking on some level. Like, how does, yeah. how does, it, how does it feel? And he's giving his audience, and it's a mix of people now of different ages, these new things to, to, to dip into. And, you know, I, on a completely side note, there really needs to be a Bob Dylan book club. Because, the, I mean, the man, I, I can imagine what his library yeah. must look like, what right. he you know what he must tear through to pull all these references and what sticks in his brain and what doesn't is just got to be you know just something just unbelievable it's an amazing amazing record and i mean by the way everybody this will obviously not be the final word on this record for this show the show is going to be doing the individual songs as we go through them i mean it's going to be interesting that these songs will not have any great history behind them the way that every other one of them uh, does but we are going to be covering them song by song over time people have already emailed me and said i want to do this one i'm gonna do that one and that's just amazing that this is <laughs> that's awesome. such a vital thing so tom i think we're gonna wrap it up here because we could just keep going on on forever forever um <laughs> i do want to say in your essay that you wrote on medium when you mentioned about gassy self-involved podcasts i sure <laughs> hope that Pod Dylan is not one of those shows. No, no, of course not. But it was more like this idea of the recombinant language in general that he's kind of swirling together and using and where, you know, where we're inundated with just talk and story and podcasts. And some of them, some of the ones to do with music are very self-involved, uh, but this one is not. And I'm, I'm very, I'm very proud to be part of it and happy to be here and uh you know honored to be able to talk about a guy like this and a record like this at length like this well again thank you very much i said on the live show and i got to say to you in person that i've been reading your reviews for so many years and and it was such a big in my early stages of of my dylan fandom i I felt like in some ways i was like i was the only person i knew except for like one other friend that was into it and then here i was reading your reviews every time it was such an important part of my development as a fan of like oh here's this guy that loves this thing and here's the review in the you know philadelphia inquirer you know a real a real newspaper you know back when we had those a real you know a real (laughs) newspaper it was just so it i am I am always so honored to have you on, and I am just thrilled that we got a chance to do this. It would have been great if we could have done it in person like we did last year, but you yeah. know, circumstances did not uh, – per- Well, that, this won't be forever. No, it won't be forever. So, again, <laughs> thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Why don't you tell people where they can find your writings on the Internet? Uh, so I do stuff for NPR Music and uh, NPR All Things Considered, although they've – put a pause for the summer on that and i have a page at medium and i'm starting a, a Substack in a couple of weeks and uh let's see what else that's you know it's like kind of catch as catch can i'm a freelance writer i have stuff that you know goes in all kind of places i had a cover story on chick korea a couple months ago in jazz times you know it's just like um uh, wherever i can find work <laughs> and that's a and that's a real challenge right now the life of a freelancer, absolutely. absolutely. Right? So, yeah, everybody, read uh, Tom's essay on the album on Medium. It's very, very interesting. Again, I like that it was it was more of a thought piece about the record rather than a review, exactly, which I, I really appreciate because I don't think – I don't even know what the point of reviewing something – how you can review a Bob Dylan record five days into its release. You know I mean? Well, like, exactly. I need time yeah. to think about that. I mean, you know, here's, here's War and Peace. Give me your inst- – <laughs> give me a hot take. Uh, right, and th- this happens t- way too often. I mean, we were lucky with this. Critics got it like 10 days before the release date, uh, and, um, <laughs> you know, it was – it would, and we'd already chewed on three songs, so right, it wasn't right. as formidable as it sometimes is. <laughs> but yeah, this thing—I I do not miss the days when I worked for a newspaper like the Inquirer, where you know the record was coming out on a Friday or a Tuesday, and you got it the day before. There is, <laughs> I, it, Dylan's a particularly good example of why you should never write something that quickly but a lot of artists i mean the music has to get under your skin you got to yeah. live with it you got to let it work on you absolutely and they said this record i think will be working on people uh, forever as most yes. of his other records this truly will be going on forever so thanks everybody for listening of course if you want to subscribe to the show you can go to apple Podcasts. you can go to spotify you can go to stitcher all the back episodes are on the website finewaterpodcast.com we're always talking bob over on twitter at pod underscore Dylan. And finally, 
If you want to support the network, go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast, and there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Patrick Carroll, and another uh, supporter who will remain masked and anonymous for their support of Pod Dylan. So thanks, everybody, for listening. This is just a great time. There's never a bad time to be a Bob Dylan fan, but this is a particularly great time to be a Bob Dylan fan. You've got rough and rowdy, rough and rowdy ways. Go out there and listen to it over and over again. And uh, we will see you next week. Bye. Dearest is the place to be if you're looking for immortality. Key West is paradise divine. Key West is fine and fair. If you lost your mind, you'll find it there. Key West is on the horizon line.